0: So, this is Vibe Drive, episode 104, and oh boy, we got a professional on deck, baby. We got the stream doctor himself, Epo Vox, in the building, and he's coming up on Vibe Drive, which starts now. What's up, people? This your boy, Viper, the man about tech. And welcome back to another episode of Fight Drive. This is the podcast about tech, hosted by the man about tech. And tonight, I have a streaming professional in the building. I got the stream, Professor himself, a tech educator, a dude with one of the most smooth voices in the tech space today. Let me bring in my man, Adam, aka e boxes here. What's up, man? How you doing?
1: That might be the most epic intro I've ever had.
0: <laughs> hello. Hey, hello. Thank Hi. you for joining me, man. How you doing? Thank
1: you. Doing all right. Doing all
0: right. I'm yeah. glad to here. Thank you for the time, man. I appreciate of course. it. Glad to be here. No doubt. Do you, And for those of y'all watching the podcast live, do y'all see his background with the PlayStation sound a little, does it not look so nice and creepy? I mean, good God. Woo!
1: Are you ready for me to blow your mind, though?
0: Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, he got the scenes on deck. He oh my lord, he got like three cameras going. Wow. Oh no, nope. They nope. got four cameras. <laughs> Jesus. See, I told y'all we got a streaming <laughs> professional. The man has a multi-cam setup in the stream tonight for his podcast, which is mind-blowing. I'm sorry that you guys on audio can't see what's happening here. But he has four <laughs> cameras set up. He could change the scenes at the push of a button It's kind of crazy. But again, thank you for joining me. So e box. First question I ask everybody who
1: comes on here for the first time. Mm-hmm. What brought you to youtube oh dear okay um originally what brought me to youtube was sharing video game clips from an old service called x fire uh it was it's kind of like steam but it didn't have game store it just had screenshots and clans and nerdy stuff and a lot of people were using that to upload clips of video games and didn't know how to move it over to youtube when youtube launched And I was, of course, the nerd that knew how to do that. And so I started uploading those clips and getting all that moved over. And then I saw that it could become something more, did a lot of gaming stuff for a while, and then found my kind of flow with showing other people how to upload and stream and all of that. And so I've been through many phases of what I actually focus on, but I've been around a while.
0: Now, when you say a while, how long have you been on YouTube? What year is it? (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> 14
0: years now? Woo, wow.
1: 12, like, more seriously, and then only full-time for, I want to say, three years now, I think.
0: Okay, 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 all right. Yeah,
1: man, I guess I've seen you around. Um, I think
0: the first time I came became familiar with you was, I think, a couple of years ago, when you were on a live stream with our buddy John Prosser from Page <laughs> Tech. Uh, so yeah, man. I I I consumed your content. I definitely watch a lot of your content when I was researching the microphone that I'm currently using tonight with the sure. I Watch yeah. your videos on that. Oh yeah, man. You are you are you are the man when it comes to like doing research and finding out <laughs> about a product. You are the man. Thank you. No I... problem. <laughs> no problem. So, stream Professor, right? That that is yep. like on YouTube. We talk about coming into a niche. That's about as niche as it gets. So how did you like decide to hunker down into talking about and teaching people how to stream properly?
1: Honestly, I kind of fell into it by accident. Mm -hmm. I uh back when I was doing gameplay stuff, I started OBS came out. Like there was there was before OBS, there was a lot of really kind of funky ways to stream and record gameplay, and it was all really messy. And OBS came out and it was free and it was relatively easy to set up for a free program. I was like, hey, I want to make some videos on that. And for about a year, I had made tutorials off and on, still figuring out this whole tutorial thing. But it was becoming very clear that those and a couple other tech videos I experimented with were consistently my most viewed content. And so over the second half of 2014, leading up to Christmas 2014, I kind of struggled a bit because I really liked making the gaming videos. But it was literally a difference of like 20 views to multiple thousands of views on the tech videos. And so finally that Christmas, I was like, all right, I got to cut off the bleeding limb and just focus on tech. And I haven't really looked back. It's been a blast and OBS has kind of always been at the forefront of what I cover, but I do a lot of other tech stuff, but it was just clear that, you know, no one else was doing it at the time. There's obviously more streaming channels now, but I like to think that I've been around longer and I know what I'm doing. I think you
0: have definitely carved out your position in the streaming uh, uh, professional niche as far as finding out how to stream properly, what tools to use to stream and things like that. I remember talking to you over a year ago c- because I was trying to figure out how to use OBS for Mac. Right. And at the time, I think they were into OBS and there were, then there was OBS Streamlabs. But mm-hmm. the OBS for Streamlabs only worked on Windows. It didn't work on Mac yet. But I right. think I think about a few months ago, they finally released an OBS StreamYard version from Mac. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. Why is it, Adam, why is it that there aren't more live streaming programs for Mac? Why is everything on Windows, it seems like?
1: So here's, honestly, I consider it completely ironic because when it comes to the, like, super professional, like, industry-level broadcast and video scene, everything is done on Mac. Everything is done on Mac. You, You rarely see Windows computers. Right. But due to, I think, a mix of, gaming stuff primarily running on Windows and the more cheap factor when it comes to building devices for Windows, it became a lot easier to support Windows out of the gate, appeal to the wider audience of, you know, game streaming was really what kind of democratized live streaming like we're doing now. Like what we're doing now didn't exist eight years ago other than on that professional level. And it wasn't until we saw more of this weird, you know, gaming stuff come up that then brought this more indie level broadcast to the forefront. And so I think it comes down to that was the easiest to support the quickest at first, whenever everyone was getting off the ground with streaming, and then it's a struggle for them to find the resources to also develop for Mac and things like that. It's one of those chicken and the egg. We don't have enough users on this platform, so we can't justify it. But if you're not developing for the platform, of course, you're not going to have the users on the platform to develop for. So it's really obnoxious. I wish both Mac and Linux would get a lot more support because it's kind of ridiculous that. You can edit an entire, you know, you can film, edit, and produce an entire actual Hollywood film on Mac or a sports broadcast. But then when you want to do like this kind of chat, it's way more difficult unless you have hundreds of thousands of dollars.
0: Yeah, um, it's real. Like I said, there are very few actual live streaming uh, programs for Mac. Now, we know that there are some that uh, they're starting to become more prevalent on Mac because obviously I'm on StreamYard tonight and StreamYard works for both Windows and Mac. There's now a Mac-only application called Ecamm, which I, was, right. I just became familiar with a few days ago. I but, saw Chris uh,
1: stud talking about that.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a live streaming platform only on Mac right now. So, I mean, finally, it does seem like companies are starting to realize that, Um, yeah, hello, we're over here on Mac. You might want to <laughs> cater to us. We need something to live stream with Adam. Yep. Where are we at? we here, finally.
1: <laughs> yeah. And honestly, OBS is losing a lot of market share this way because that and even... Um, You have program like Twitch, they have their own broadcast studio app right. that's, you know, like a really dumbed down version. But that has the ability to get your system sound for your alerts or for your music you're playing or anything like that. OBS still doesn't ship with anything like that. And so we're starting to see a lot of innovation kind of circle around OBS to where it's going to become a lot less relevant on Mac. And that's kind of frustrating.
0: But, Adam, I'm glad you brought up that Twitch platform that they have going on because, ironically... It only works on PC, unless they change it over the past. No,
1: they just released the beta for Mac. That's what I'm... Ah, okay. It's, okay. it's one of the only ways you can actually get your computer sound on Mac and they just released the beta for it. So pretty Ooh, okay. much OBS is just like falling behind and it's really disappointing.
0: Yeah, that is, that is interesting. I didn't know that Twitch finally released the Mac version because when it came out originally, it was only PC. Yep. yep, yep. So now that's good that they finally recognize that, yeah, we're, yeah, we game on Mac too. You know, there are Mac people that need that access, so that's good. But that you do bring up a good point that with all these live streaming services popping up, like you said, OBS is kind of falling behind because my big problem with OBS, Adam, was that it was just way too damn complicated. I'm like, you got all these dials and settings and and things you need to regulate and set up stream keys and all this stuff. I'm like, dude, I just want to hit go live. Like, (laughs) what what is this? Yeah. But I know like I know a lot of high level streamers, they've been using OBS for a long time. But for somebody like me that just wants to hit a button and go like I do now. Right. OBF was a little bit too complicated. So hopefully they figure out a way to uh to streamline it so it's easier for people mm-hmm. that want to use it in the future because right now it's still a little way too complicated.
1: Yeah, I feel you. And honestly, I have not like it's been on my list forever because I have an infinite to do list for content. But to look at StreamYard and just seeing what you're doing right now with this, I'm kind of sold on it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yo, StreamYard is amazing. I mean, obviously, you I think uh StreamYard supports, I think they support LinkedIn, they support Facebook, YouTube, Twitch. I mean, they got the whole gamut covered, and basically, you just put in your account information and then they take care of the rest. Right. Um, I hit go live, and it automatically goes out to uh, whatever platform that you are connected to. And you, can, and you can stream to multiple platforms at a time with StreamYard as well. So, right. Yard definitely has it covered. My favorite thing about StreamYard, of course, is the fact that I can bring in guests. And it used to be only up to six guests, but now they extended it to 10. So, oh, there's about to be a party <laughs> going on in here, baby, for real. <laughs>
1: And the thing you were doing at the start where you can like highlight the comments and stuff like that, that would be so much work to do on most other streaming programs.
0: Right. But I could just hit a button and yep. boom, we got El Hefe out there. Yep. That's no sick. Shout out to those of y'all that are listening on audio only this week. Thank you for listening to another episode of pipe job with Epo and me this week. I oh, appreciate yeah. that-
1: That's
0: right. I appreciate you guys <laughs> rocking out each and every week on the audio side. If you want to support the podcast, there will be links in the show notes to do that. Not required, but if you're willing to do that, it would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving a rating or review because you know I'm trying to get this podcast back into the top 200 of tech podcasts. So a rating or review goes a long way to getting this podcast back into the top 200 on Apple Podcasts and on the tech space. So please consider doing that. Thank you guys for rocking out with me. I appreciate you. So Adam, Elgato released a new, I think they released a couple of new products recently. Mm-hmm. um microphone they released the wave one and the right. wave three uh watching a little bit of your review earlier on the wave one and wave three but for the people watching and the people listening to this podcast can you please explain the difference between the wave one and the wave three
1: uh it really just comes down to having more controls on the mic itself um The Wave 3 has a dial you click in and you can control your mic gain, you can control your headphone level, and then you can control the balance of what you hear between like your computer sound playing back through your mic and your actual mic preview. Um, And then it has a mute button on top, whereas the Wave 1 just has the mute button on the front and that's it. And that's literally all the number difference is, is the three controls versus the one control. Otherwise, they're identical microphones. And so it's really kind of for some people, it may seem pointless to buy the wave three because they're not going to use any of those controls. And then for some people, they don't understand why they made the wave one because they <laughs> do the same thing. So, but they're basically the like in terms of the actual microphone, they're identical. Got you. Now, these Elgato microphones are not just
0: your typical normal microphones, they actually have a built-in mixer, like where you can go into your computer and control the EQs and things like that virtually, yep. um, which is pretty cool because. That's a big deal for people like me who like to like elevate my voice a lot. So mm-hmm. now these might have built in like uh, settings to where if I wanna go amplify my voice a little bit, <laughs> it doesn't clip. So yep. I think that's pretty cool, Adam.
1: That clip guard feature is actually really impressive and pretty much no other microphone comes with it. There's a couple microphones that have something sort of similar, but not quite as good. Um, but it basically it's recording two different tracks at once. And one is really, really quiet. And so when you start screaming, it just kind of switches over. And it's super seamless. It is. It's really impressive. And by the yeah. way, those mics support Mac right out of the box.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. It,
1: shout out to Elgato.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not. Not only do they support Mac, those are USB mics as well. Those, you don't need no XLR. Yep. Right. Any of those. Just one plug cable. it straight into the computer and go. Yep. One cable. Beautiful. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm using this. Sure, but I mean that, that mic is kind of intriguing just for the clip guard feature alone. I'm. I'm mm-hmm i don't know man i'm thinking about it i don't know but yeah (laughs) Uh, i love my shirt too much though this this is my
1: baby yeah (laughs) it's it's hard to go back once you're set up with that oh absolutely speaking of mic, what mic are you using tonight Uh, i am using a mic called the deity s mic 2. it is a shotgun mic Uh um the original goal with this setup was to have it completely off camera so because i have issues with my camera's autofocus like i'm not even really in focus right now i'm still trying to figure this out sony needs to work on some things um but I get a little bit more room sound and so I haven't decided I, I have my SM7B sitting in a box waiting for me to figure out like which one I want to stick with because it's kind of complicated with all this stuff I have running here, as you can see, with all the stands and the lights and the. <laughs>
0: man, the fact that you can push a button and change what we're looking at is just mind blowing to me, man. That's crazy. <laughs> that, that, that's kind of amazing. But you you said uh, which, uh, You said something about your Sony camera now having you in focus. Which one are you using?
1: Uh, this is the A6400. And like, it's great. And I've never had an issue with it until I put it in this room. And I don't know if it's the lights behind me or when I have something else in frame. Like right now it's only focused on this, even though it has face detect autofocus and it even like registers your face. So it knows who it's looking for. I I've had it for almost a year now. And I've until I put it here, I've literally never had an issue with the autofocus. And now suddenly it just wants to stick on other things instead of my face. It's really weird. It is interesting that you're having that issue because as most of the people that
0: are watching or listening to this podcast know, right now I am in streaming on a Sony a7 III mm-hmm. and I have I had this shirt mic, but usually I have it in a, a much more uh, a more elevated position, but I was having so many issues with the lens I'm using on this Sony a7 III, like picking up the mic and not me, and it right. was putting me out of focus. So finally, I finally figured out a way with the help of Gerald Undone to reposition the mic in such a way that it does not, now it doesn't interfere with the camera focusing on my face, so it looks a lot better, but yeah. It's amazing how just the microphone can knock your entire focus off when you are doing these streams or whatever the case may be.
1: Yeah. Even weirder, uh, my main webcam setup for my desk downstairs when I'm doing tutorials and stuff, I have the A7S2. Um, and then I think I have the same lens you just upgraded to, the G Master 28 millimeter. And when I have it wide open, it keeps focusing on my shirt instead of my face. <laughs> and oh, so, wow. and it's literally like my face will be blurry and my shirt will be completely crisp. And I'm just like, this was supposed to be an upgrade. No. Right. Autofocus um, is a pain sometimes. It really is. It's funny
0: because I actually owned the A6400 for one day, but then uh, the opportunity presented itself for me to get an A7III, oh, yeah. I, I jumped on it. And oh, I don't blame you. The rest <laughs> history, but uh, I did have the A6400 for a day and that's a nice camera, definitely. Oh
1: yeah, It's been pretty great overall. I just hope I can get me in focus one day.
0: <laughs> now, speaking of cameras, since I know you cover all types of gear, um, I, I'm pretty sure you're aware that Sony just released the ZV-1.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, any, any thoughts on that one? It looks pretty cool for what it is. I actually have one coming in for review in a week, I think. Um oh, okay. it's my first time reviewing, like officially reviewing a Sony camera that they've sent and stuff, so that'll be pretty cool. Um, it's a very small sensor compared to you know, the A73 is a full frame. This is <laughs> APS-C, this is a little one-inch sensor, so it's much smaller. I think people need to kind of they look at that and they think it's equivalent to whatever other Sony cam they're used to seeing, and so that you gotta temper your expectations a little bit but the product focus autofocus thing that they had Mm. um Mm. that everyone keeps showing off i was watching that i think it was a philip blooms video like that is perfect for tech videos when you literally you just want to be like here's the thing i'm looking at focus on that focus back on me here's this focus back on me and whatever (laughs) um and so depending on how it looks i may end up buying one for myself for this like for my side angle or something so i can whenever i'm just like talking about something i can just be like whoa whoa whoa, switch back and forth and um, (laughs) all right but that's kind of the main good thing about it. Like, it's got that cool autofocus, but it doesn't have really great stabilization. It's a smaller sensor. You can't change the lenses. And so it's cool for a specific niche. And I think they were, tar- like, Sony someone who finds, like, five users and targets those specific users. And so they're targeting those people. But for everyone else, I'm not, and for the price, it's like you you could buy a used a7S II for that price and get a much bigger sensor and nicer camera. So, eh. Like, it's really cool, but it's yeah. like 800 bucks and that's quite a lot for a small camera like that. I don't know. Yeah, you,
0: you definitely, you make a good point. For 800 bucks, there's a lot of options out there, definitely. Mm-hmm. So we're about to have a camera war in the chat because my man Lover Tech is telling you to get a Fuji X-T4. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have been really, I was supposed to, I was talking to them for a review and they keep, they're like super flaky with communication. Um, I was supposed to be reviewing one because they released a webcam app for it so that you can use it without a capture card for streaming and stuff, which seemed pretty cool. Um, and, but the only Fuji camera I have ever owned so far is an X T 10, which is like really old and doesn't do video stuff very well. Um, but I've heard wonderful things about Fuji. They have really good colors. And then the new xt C four seems pretty cool, but I have all Canon and some, some Sony glass. So switching entire camera bodies is always just kind of like, mm, do I want to do that? Do I want to make a big step like that? Cause cause I got my big Ursa back there that shoots Canon. So mm. nice so i think it was about a year ago
0: i watched a video of of yours which is definitely about to become more near and dear to my heart Uh you did a complete comparison of like four or five different chairs gaming chairs Mm -hmm. and you were thorough af i was like (laughs) damn but you did a complete breakdown of each chair you like which position you talked about the comfort the durability things like that so in your opinion right now today What would you say is the best gaming chair or best chair out there for what we do as far as like editing, shooting content, things like that?
1: Right. I'm not too keen on specific companies because a lot of them are just, re, you know, like there's one factory that produces them and they rebrand a lot of them. Any of Hmm. them that are like high quality mesh ones are generally the way to go. And I think everyone's starting to see that. There's a company um, that has done gaming products for a while called Respawn that is coming out with a chair that is almost identical to the one that I ended up settling on, which is the, um, autonomous ergo chair, Two, Um, but it's gaming themed and things like that, but it's supposed to be a lot cheaper, um, but the autonomous ergo chair, the I'm, I'm going to get up for a second. This is weird. Um, <laughs> this style here is over all, all over Amazon with like, like six different ones that look identical. This Mm -hmm. one has lasted me five years now and is phenomenal. Um, It was a huge deal for like fixing a lot of back pain. I had with normal gaming chairs originally. Um, I don't think I could recommend, like I said, any specific company or brand, but I would look into the actual ergonomic mesh based chairs. A lot of people think that since they're mesh, they're not going to support your back well or anything, they are actually built for that. And like I said, I've had this one for five years and like it's a little looser, but it still supports me just as well as it did. Um, this one was like a hundred bucks on Amazon. Um, I don't think they sell this specific one anymore, but like I said, there's like six others that are identical to it. Um, but I would avoid the actual general category of gaming chairs because they're meant to look cool, but not actually hold your butt for eight hours a day. And Mm. yeah, and honestly, Uh, I, I see a lot of people that I knew in real life that upgraded to a big fancy gaming chair. And you just kind of see progressing over time. They just like slouch more and more and more. And they're like <laughs> sitting like this. And they're like, yeah, it's totally comfortable. I'm totally not going to have back pain in 20 years. And
0: <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't. Put all the audio. He just slouched back all the way in the chair. <laughs> <laughs> we Okay. So recently, uh, a lot of the, the one chair that a lot of people seem to have gotten and have been really comfortable with. It's a uh, secret lab chairs. I don't know if you know about the secret lab chair, but... I've seen them. Those seem to be the new hot thing, and I was looking at one of those, but you're you're like, just avoid gaming chairs in general, huh? I mean,
1: if you have the opportunity, and I know that's weird with COVID and stuff right now, um, find like a Staples or an Office Depot or something like that and try out the different... Because chairs themselves, like the individual units, don't matter so much as the style of chair. And so if you can go try one that looks like the one you're trying to buy and like really sit in it and pay attention to how your back is supported and how you might sit for long-term use, then you can kind of really evaluate for yourself because there's a lot of people that the Secret Lab style chair is probably perfect for. Um, But then there's a lot of people who want to sit a particular way that that will not support and you're gonna get there and you're gonna have to lean back or whatever and may not like it. Um, And so I, I, I always recommend trying the style of chair or as close to the actual chair you're buying multiple times even before you know keep going back a couple times especially for the expensive ones before you invest all that money because it's going to be a nightmare if not impossible to try to return something like that because every gaming chair i've ever every chair i've ever had the box by the time you get it built the box is destroyed the parts (laughs) are everywhere like taking that back apart is a nightmare and trying to mail that back it's like 80 pounds that's you're not going to return it
0: (laughs) no 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 then not at all you're right about that damn that (laughs) yeah damn that no way Who so obviously your thing is streaming um right. I'm sure you do a lot of I'm sure you do a lot of streaming what is your uh, streaming platform of choice I'm guessing it's twitch
1: currently twitch yes Um, I do some streams on YouTube as well Um, mainly that are formatted as shows specifically for my channel not just casual streaming right I'm not too like they, they all have their pros and their cons and their quirks. Um, for some audiences, I know a lot of people have issues with it and totally fine. For some audiences, Facebook has been really successful. Um, especially in other countries, like Brazil has had an explosion of Facebook gaming streamers, all streaming Fortnite and things like that. And it's just been this like really tight knit community and it's been really cool to see. But then in the States, you know, hardly anyone watches Facebook streams and, Twitch has always been the kind of reliable. like I've been streaming on Twitch since the Justin TV days before it was even Twitch. And so Ooh. it's kind of been the reliable like it's always been around everyone knows to go to it kind of thing. And that's where all my followers are. Um, but there have been other sites that were more innovative in some ways like I really liked some of what mixer was doing and now mixers <laughs> yeah. going away. Um, so if you want something reliable, the big YouTube or Twitch is generally the way to go just because you know, they're going to be around at least for now um but i i still recommend people trying out new platforms when they come up because that's how people find unexpected success like the first people that jumped on tiktok or vine or whatever made entire careers out of it so yep yeah i i'm still a twitch guy though for now there's some issues with it but i'm sticking for to it i don't want to move so, all my followers i've been building them up for like 10 years
0: <laughs> right 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 and and as we know Adam being creator when you get on a platform, you want to make content natively for that platform. You don't want to try to move people back and forth because they're not moving. Right. They are comfortable on their platform. So if you're on Twitch and you try to get people over to YouTube, you're going to have a hard time. If you're yep. on YouTube trying to get people over to Twitch, you're going to have a hard time. You got to uh, you gotta make the content native to that platform and make those people comfortable as possible and then just work from there.
1: Right. Once you build up a big enough audience, some will follow you some places, but the drop off is insane, especially when there is like platform loyalty going on. Like there's Twitch and YouTube are like household name enough that if someone goes and looks for like random video content, they're not going to find some obscure site to watch it on. They're going to YouTube first. If they want to watch game streams, they're going to Twitch first. They may go watch X person on another website, but the vast majority of people are first finding the site and then the person. And it's really, you know, You got to build what they're looking for. And there's, there's a whole lot of hashtag small streamer communities that build up on these new sites. And I don't like being negative about it, but there's this like weird paradox of, they only want it to be like small creators on this site because it builds that family feeling, Mm -hmm. but they somehow expect to grow that way. (laughs) Right. If there's, if there's no one there, there's no one there. There's no one to watch you. You can't just all (laughs) watch each other forever. Right. That's like if you and I just decided we were only going to support each other and just keep watching each other's videos. (laughs) No one else is still watching our videos. Right, that's not going to work. Yeah, and so it's really tough because I want there to be competition. I want there to be innovation, and I want there to be opportunities for people to go in different directions. But it's hard when the average person going to find that content isn't going to those places. You're right about that. Speaking of... Adam, do you believe that
0: YouTube will ever have a true competitor? Because if, if much of Twitch is doing, I don't really see Twitch. As, I don't really see Twitch right. as a competitor to YouTube. So, will YouTube ever get an actual competitor?
1: So, I've talked about this off and on for years. My answer is kind of twofold because I I, I believe YouTube already has multiple competitors, and that is in the form of Twitch, in the form of TikTok, in the form of Instagram. Technically, YouTube's competing with normal broadcast TV. Um, but what people, I think, don't understand about that question is they want a YouTube clone. They want YouTube 3 that looks and acts exactly like YouTube, but isn't technically, you know, isn't owned by Google, has other changes or whatever. And we've seen time and time again that that doesn't work. We've seen VidMe. There was another one that shut down Vessel. Vessel. There's been quite a few video sites that come up. I mean, Vimeo is still around and Daily Motion are still around, but you probably have never met a person that actually watches anything on those sites. Uh, Right. (laughs) And between the cost for bandwidth and storage and all of that, the infrastructure required and the, like we we just talked about, the household name of it, I don't think we're going to see a uploaded long form video site that looks and acts like YouTube compete with YouTube, no. But the real competition comes in where people's attention and their watch time is. And there are a lot of people who stopped watching uploaded videos and went and watched live streams. There was mm-hmm. an entire like shift whenever Twitch really became popular of content creators who made only uploaded vi- videos, shifting to making live content. That is technically competition. That is serious competition. When you have major like million subscriber channels, no longer posting over here and said right. they're streaming over here. It's not, you know, if you want to watch, like, say, I want to watch your videos, but on a better website. I'm not really going to get that, but it's still a competing site and competing for audiences, and it still requires them to innovate. Like, we've seen Patreon-like features get introduced to YouTube. YouTube's live streaming tech overall is actually really good. The viewer kind of engagement side is not super great compared to something like Twitch, but their live streaming tech is way better than Twitch's in most cases. Um, (laughs) they have that beat. And then you see now we we got stories on YouTube and things like that to compete with all the mobile platforms like that is still competition that is still taking viewers away. And it's still driving feature changes across each other. I just don't think like it doesn't make sense financially for any company to show up and think that they're just going to replace YouTube. Because Google like it, it, it was ba- it wasn't even profitable for Google for like 10 years. So we can't really expect right. anyone right. else to be able to pull it off if Google can't. I mean, you could argue maybe Amazon, but they, they don't seem to want to. Twitch had uploaded features and they kind of stopped supporting them.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. I think sometimes Twitch gets confused about what it wants to do and how it wants yep. to enforce what it wants to do. is They're all over the place. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I think that's normal these days.
0: But you uh you brought up an excellent point about, um even though I said that I don't see a true YouTube competitor, you did bring up an excellent point about Twitch. It actually, they are actually competition for YouTube because, I mean, good lord, We got YouTube and Twitch battling over treatment. They're paying Ninja $30 million to be exclusively on Mixer and and paying Dr. Disrespect exclusively to be on Twitch. And it's just all sorts of stuff going on, a type of crazy. So, yeah, there's definitely competition going
1: on, no doubt about it. Right. And those people still post videos to YouTube, but those videos are essentially marketing for their Twitch or for their Mixer or whatever. It's, you know, it's it's not really a YouTube presence in the same regard. Right. Right. And I lost my train of thought.
0: <laughs> oh, anything Whatever. and everything yep. can happen when you're live. Yep. <laughs> I just call them about live streams, man. You just don't know. You just don't know. <laughs> Good. Microphones. Obviously, yep. you've used a, a ton of them. Wait, I'm man? curious what is your favorite one ever?
1: Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> It's a close battle. I think my favorite microphone ever is my Sennheiser MKH-416. It's another shotgun mic. Um, it's used for, you know, on-camera stuff like this, but also in vocal booths for actual voiceover and things like that. Um, it has this really just rich low-end presence that works really well for my voice. It rejects a lot of side noise. It just, it's the it was the first microphone I probably had ever used in my career where I turned it on, recorded, and the raw recording within it blew my mind. Like typically mics sound their best after you've processed them a little bit pulled a little bit better sound out of them, you know, tweaked it to get it to sound exactly right. This one, I turned it on and was immediately like, Whoa, I sound like this. This is pretty cool. (laughs) Um, And so it's been my favorite for a long time. I wish I could get more. They're pretty expensive. They're like a 1000 bucks new. Mine, I was grateful enough to get from Sennheiser as a review unit from a really nice contact there who no longer works there. Unfortunately, but I really wish I could equip every every setup with that mic because it's just so nice. Um, mm. But that's definitely been my favorite so far.
0: Cool. Um, I've heard good things about the Sennheiser mics. Um, obviously DTS on the rise. I talked to them yep. a few weeks ago on a, on a live stream. They're doing big things. Sure, it's been around forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> I want to talk about road though, but not really the mic. Um, okay. I know you are familiar with the Rodecaster Pro, which is like some I don't even know how to yep. describe it. It's some type of like <laughs> It's like an all-in-one podcast interface, like <laughs> type machine. Yep, it's six hundred bucks, and everybody who's used one and own one, where by it? Yep. I want to know why do people love this thing so much.
1: So, are you familiar with the Go XLR as well? I've heard of it. I okay. think it's like something similar, right? Yeah. So, I wonder if you can actually see this. You can't. So, this little group of lights right here this is the go XLR. It's kind of like the roadcaster pro they are a mixer an audio interface. And in the roadcaster pro option, it is also an audio like field recorder where it can record internally, all in one. And so you can have multiple microphones for a multi person podcast setup, you can mix it, you can process your voice all in this one box. It's really high quality. It, in the go XLRs case, it has cool like voice effects, like I can go Hello, and then Hello, hello, hello Play it back um, I can complete f- myself, all this crazy stuff. Um, and the roadcaster since it has more of the podcasting focus where you have the multi-track, you have audio processing and all of that. It's just not something we've had in the affordability space and 600 bucks sounds like really expensive, but the next competitor to something like the roadcaster pro was easily multiple thousands of dollars before that came out. Woo. They were these big four foot long mixer units, consoles that people would use for big broadcast setups, and they made it super affordable comparatively and super small. And honestly, it's hard to beat either, either one, depending on your purpose. The GoXLR is more intended for like, you know, streaming and only one person and all that. The Roadcaster is more podcasting, multi-person, things like that. Um, it's just a really nice convenient package. If that's what your needs are. If you, if, if you're just putting one microphone into a computer and streaming it, You don't need that. You just need a basic audio interface and you're good to go. But for big multi-person podcasting setups, it is really hard to beat it because the alternative is much bigger, much noisier, much more expensive and just kind of really handy.
0: Well, most of the people
1: I know are digital
0: one person production, but they love the hell out of that thing. Yeah. Uh, I'll consider getting one, but I'm like, do I really? What,
1: what,
0: can I really like use it? Like, I don't know. Like, I,
1: It's I one know. of those you have to like learn how to use it in order to figure out if you even want to use it. Like if it's even useful for you, um, it, it's it, it's tough as someone who's an educator trying to explain it all because there are certain products like that where it's like, if you don't know why you want it or need it right now, I don't know that I can tell you that you do because <laughs> like you have to have the ideas going for it to really make sense sometimes. Right. Yeah, I
0: got, especially you, when you're shelling out that much money, you definitely want to know what you need it for and how you're going to right. use it, no doubt.
1: No yeah, because that's what I... Uh, it's the worst thing seeing like someone who wants to start up their YouTube career and drops like $2,000 on all this gear. They don't know how to use it. They don't know why they have it. And then they're disappointed that they can't get a million subs in like six months with it. And...
0: <laughs> <sighs> oh, we can't talk about that all day. <laughs> <laughs> so... I want to, like I said, I want to go back to talking about streaming because I know that that's your thing. You're your big stream professor. So what are some tips that you would give for somebody that's just like starting out streaming and who wants to be a streamer and things like that? What are some things that you would tell
1: new streamers? Um, I would definitely say to not overdo it. Something I see people starting out streaming, especially on Twitch and things like that, is they immediately jump to doing like, eight hours a day every day until they pass out Mm. and it's like the more i stream the more successful i'll be right because in a way streaming platforms they only really reward or like see an influx in your metrics if you're live you know how many viewers do you have how many subscribers did you get while you were live how many people did you did follow you while you were live but that's incredibly unhealthy that's super toxic to literally have to be performing every day all day and that's the only way you can find reward out of what you're doing i mean it's you're a video creator if you were just recording videos 24 7 you would burn out so quickly like as much as we love creating there's so many other aspects to it that like you're building with um and we get the benefit as, as uploaded videos of getting to upload it sit there and watch it grow, you know, the algorithm takes it and you grows it and you get subscribers and comments, you don't have to only the five minutes that your video watch time is before it's done. That's, that's all the viewership you get. It's not the same way. Um, I would definitely recommend looking at streaming as, as long as you, I guess, ultimately, I want people to figure out if they actually want to be a streamer, or stream just for fun. Because there is a big difference and I don't think everyone recognizes it. Because everyone, there's a lot of people who jump in who honestly really want to come, from, come home from work like two days a week, stream for their friends, go to bed, but then they're all obsessed with all these like how to grow quickly strategies that burn them out. When if that's all you want out of it, if you just want like a small knit community, you don't really have to do all this crazy other stuff. You can just stream and have fun and not think about it too much. But if you're actually wanting to do it as like a career opportunity, then you have to look at it as like a multifaceted business. You have Streaming, yes, but you also need to be fostering your social media presence and uploading YouTube videos. You need to be finding a way to turn that stream content into content for YouTube or Instagram or TikTok or whatever the kids are on these days and posting it in in different ways and finding ways to build up. Because these days, you're not just a YouTuber. You're not just a streamer. You're not just a Viner, I know Vine's dead. Um, (laughs) You're not just on this one platform. You're a creator on the internet and people expect content from you from every way. Like if someone follows you on Twitter, it's not because they want to see what you're doing in your house when you're not working. It's because they want additional content from you. Even though it's text-based or maybe image-based, it's still content and the same kind of communication. And that's what your viewers are expecting. And a lot of people truly, truly believe because that's how like the first people did it that they'll just get to turn on their Xbox, go play Call of Duty eight hours a day and do n- think nothing else of it and still grow a, like, a following. Uh, and it, it's not that simple. Like, it, it's really not, it, it doesn't work that way.
0: No, If like I said, I'm glad you put it just the way you put it because it's crazy how, like, people that don't do what we do, people that don't create, it's crazy uh, the way they think about creators and how what we do and how we do it. They think that what we do is so easy, Adam. They <laughs> think we just they think we just put out videos and we just turn on the camera and yep. stream and that's it. No, that is not it. There's yep. a lot more that goes into it than what you see. There are things that are happening in the background, in the back end, yep. there, there's the pressure that we face to like do, like the, the pressure that we put on ourselves as far as metrics and numbers. I mean, there's so much that goes into it that the viewer just doesn't see or understand. So I'm glad you put it the way you put it, Megan. It's a lot that goes into this.
1: Yeah, A lot of people look at a 10 minute video and they're like, a video is only 10 minutes long. It only took 20 minutes to make. Right. But it's, I mean, for most of my career, that's changed since I've had a baby and barely get to work at all now. But for most of my career, like I work like 80 hour work weeks. Like I work more than most people with real jobs mm-hmm. to make this happen. And I, I don't think people understand the investment and same thing with streaming. Like, yeah, you have those three, four eight if you're crazy hour streams. And those are exhausting hours. Like you are on camera performing for multiple hours at a time. Whereas we get to take breaks. We get to shoot for an hour, come back, eat lunch, shoot another video, whatever. Um, But you're not done then. Like, yeah, you can maybe take a break for that day, but then you've got to go figure out what you're posting on your other social media platforms. You got to manage your discord server. You got to respond to business emails. Like I spent so much time on email alone. And I don't think enough people go in with the real expectation of what it's like. And like I said, for a lot of people, they don't want to do any of that. And that's fine. But you can't obsess over becoming the next Ninja without understanding that Ninja runs a massive business. Like the, the, the two aren't separate. Ninja doesn't just sit there playing Fortnite all day. That's not what he does. Right. He's he, he's doing so much else.
0: A lot. Yeah, like you said, it's, it's a, like, if you want to be successful and like grow... It is a multifaceted business. Like you said, people don't understand the business aspect. There's emails, there's like optimizing your content to be successful on whatever platform you're on. Right. There's just so much that goes into it that people just don't understand. So I'm I'm glad you phrased it the way you phrased it because man, it is
1: uh it's not easy. Yeah.
0: So what are you what are you working on these days? What do you got coming up on the uh, in the epofox pipeline?
1: Oh dear. Um I've got a few more of those generic capture cards. Like those have been really people have been asking more about the little like $15 capture cards. Yeah. Um, so I've got some more reviews of those because people are, people took the impression from that as, okay, that capture card's $15. So obviously all the $200 capture cards are just rip offs. They're just scamming us. Right. And there's a lot of problems with them. And I, I want to cover that a little bit more clearly because I thought they were obvious, but not everyone saw it. And there's, I have, I have had a couple that are really, really bad. Um, I've been working a lot on building up this whole room, this whole stream setup. It's, been, it's still a mess back there. Cause I'm still, I just finished building this whole TV stand setup, um, but working on building my own stream setup so I can start streaming again. Cause things have been like I said, really slow with the baby. Um, I've got, I've been trying to work on this big uh, paid streaming course behind the scenes for a while. That got put on hold a little bit, but I am super stoked for that. And then, like I said, I've got that Sony camera coming in that I'm really excited to play with.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, okay.
1: And then I have a two years with my big cinema camera back there, video finally coming. It was supposed to be, like, a year with this camera, like a review after the fact, and then they got put off and delayed, and so now it's two years with (laughs) um, but (laughs) just talking about, like, for someone as crazy as me who just does YouTube stuff upgrading to something like that, like, you know, what the experience was like, what the why you maybe shouldn't do it or should do it and things like that because not a lot of people talk about that they're just like hey this guy got a red camera he's he's balling It's great when it's not just like magically upgrading everything <laughs> oh let's let's uh,
0: let's dig into that a little bit more because obviously i mean we're doing youtube we're putting videos out on youtube and youtube is going to compress the hell out of the video anyway right but you you got some creators that that put out videos in 1080p um, I, I do it most of the time because I'm trying to go for speed and things. I want things to happen quickly. Right. You got some creators that put videos out in 4K. Um, you got some people like Jonathan Morton and MKBHD that uh, that shoot content and damn near AK, but obviously you can't put it out on AK on YouTube. You can only put it out, I think, 4K at the max right now on YouTube. You can do but, AK.
1: I've done a few AK videos myself.
0: Uh, so YouTube can output AK video though? Mm-hmm. Okay. I deny Even in
1: 60 FPS too. Wow! Not okay. everybody can play it back, but. right? Right.
0: right. <laughs> so you you said you just you had the you got the cinema camera and you've had it for a couple of years now. Yep. So I guess my question is why when you, when you know that when you put that on YouTube when you put that content on YouTube it's gonna they're right. de- gonna compress the hell out of the quality of the of the image. So why did you upgrade to that type of camera?
1: It comes down to primarily control, um, like. This camera right here, this is a Panasonic G7. I'm very limited in what I can do with it, brightness-wise, color-wise, how long it can record. There's a lot of limitations that I quickly ran into when it came to how I wanted to produce content. And a cinema camera lets you record indefinitely. You can shoot, I like shooting in raw, which means, you know, like raw photos basically, which means I get complete control over my image. I have a lot of issues with my pale skin tone not really showing up properly on camera sensors. And having that raw sensor data helps me improve it. And then I get to actually control like how I actually use it. Like I'm actually going to grab it real quick. One second. I'm going to bring it over here. All right.
0: What are y'all listening on audio? here? grabbing his cinema camera, which is obesely big. You guys should see how big this thing is. I think it's massive. <sighs>
1: it's, it's like 20 almost pounds. No one's as big as he is. <laughs> yeah. So you can see here, it's a spaghetti monster of wires. For those of you listening to audio, I have cables all over this thing with lots of modules attached. Wow but this means that I get to do so much more with it. Cause I have a monitor on top that lets me preview it. This is much bigger. Like it doesn't even have a flip out screen, but even if it did, you know, a tiny flip out screen makes it really difficult to see whether you're in focus. But so I get to see all of that. I get audio recorded, like high quality audio directly recorded into the camera. So I don't necessarily need an audio recorder. I still okay. use one often. Um, but then I get complete flexibility in the image quality in the frame rates in the shutter speeds. Like I shoot a lot of CRT monitors as those watching video have seen kind of in the backgrounds of these videos. That's really hard to do on the less professional cameras. Cause you have to sync them up properly and all of that. And then I get to, you know, monitor, wirelessly monitor it. And I get to power all of this off of this one battery, this one it's called a V mount battery. If I can find the button to pull it off here. This powers everything that the entire camera rig is running. Which, if you're using a little camera, you you can adapt it to this and try to power everything off of this, but it's a lot more awkward than having literally everything on the back of the camera ready to go, and then it records to a standard SSD that you would pop in your computer instead of an SD card that is really tiny, you lose it, they don't hold a lot. I can put a one terabyte SSD in here and record everything I want. And so, ultimately, it happened because, yeah, I'm a nerd, I'm a camera nerd, I like playing with this stuff. I always want to push things to the next level and it didn't hurt that it had some added sharpness because that shoots in 4.6k which is a little more than 4k Mm -hmm. um and so it gives me a lot bigger image quality and that has with a speed booster i have in it it has essentially a full frame field of view um the speed boosters work differently on the cinema cameras like it's literally a lens mount replacement it's pretty crazy but for all of this like advanced can i mean Okay, if you want to think about it in terms of you really like StreamYard because you get to hit go live and things like that. I really like OBS because I get to fine tune every little number and possible (laughs) setting that it goes into my video live stream. And Mm -hmm. so there's, you know, it's kind of the difference of wanting every possible aspect of my shooting under my control versus these cameras are really nice because I can just pop it up, turn it on, and I'm ready to go. And the image is pretty good out of it overall. Um, And so it's obviously different use cases, but there's also... It's not a linear upgrading quality, because as you mentioned, YouTube compresses the heck out of stuff. A lot of that added sharpness or just general niceness is kind of compressed out. But the way it responds to lighting or colors or things like that, that's not really affected by compression. That's the actual image and what you can do with it. Um, And I have always found myself to kind of push back, push against my limitations by upgrading gear. I hate to be that person because everyone says, here doesn't matter, you don't need high quality gear, make the most of what you have. I started with a T3i, and I was never using the T3i to its fullest, but I was running into specific limitations with it that felt defeating. You know, Certain ways that it responded to light or the images that I wanted to get, I couldn't do specific things with it, and so I stopped improving with it after a certain point because I hit a ceiling. It may not have been the ceiling of the camera, but it was a ceiling. Then I upgraded to my Panasonic little 4K cameras and suddenly I could do so much more. There were so many cool things I could do with video that I couldn't do with the old camera that it allowed me to learn and grow more. Same thing with the cinema camera. Now, it, again, this thing could be used to shoot Netflix shows or movies. I'm shooting YouTube videos. I'm clearly not doing everything possible that it can do, (laughs) but it is unlocking what I can do for more possible things. And I think that's important for some But it's also a beefier investment. Like that that camera is completely rigged out with a million different things. But each one of those things costs as much as some people are willing to put into a single camera. Like this one little wireless module is probably like 500 bucks. That one was a review unit, whatever, it's fine. But like the batteries themselves are like 200 bucks. It's kind of absurd. Most sane people shouldn't do this, but it's a lot of fun. Like I said, I'm a camera nerd. And so there's a lot to doing more with it. Let me break this down for
0: my anime nerds, like I did on my last episode. (laughs) I'm I'm gonna compare this to type of like some type of like Dragon Ball Z reference if you got for those of y'all that watch Dragon Ball Z or have watched Dragon Ball Z, right? My man Adam here, you know what? You know what? His power level could be a 9,000, but you know what? He's not satisfied. He wants to go higher. (laughs) He wants to go beyond Super Saiyan. He wants power levels to reach like a million. So, you know, he puts everything on that camera to do what he got to do because he wants his power levels way through the roof, man. I got you. I got you.
1: That's like K Ken times ten right there. There you right 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 there
0: you go there you go <laughs> absolutely. So um, that cinema camera is a uh, Canon, correct? Or what kind?
1: Uh, Blackmagic Ursa Mini Pro.
0: Oh, Blackmagic Ursa Mini Pro. Now, have you ever used any uh Canon devices?
1: Uh, I've used their DSLRs. So like I have a 6D here, um, but I haven't used the like C two hundred or anything like that. I've really wanted to. Because um, that's another trade off, is at least with the Canon cameras, they have autofocus, but most cinema cameras don't have any sort of autofocus, oh. and that one doesn't either. And so you have to manually focus everything, which can mean that you start out with the camera and suddenly your image is worse because you, you focused wrong. And I had a lot right. of videos like that. And so I have a little like wireless follow focus system so I can focus on myself from far away. Um, but the C200, the new C300 Mark II, or whatever that just came out, those look phenomenal. Um, but I've never personally used them. I know Gerald Undone's used a bunch of them now. They're pretty awesome looking.
0: Oh, man. So I can't ask you which one is better, Canon or Sony. Damn it.
1: (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) I am very camera brand agnostic. I uh, I care more about the lenses and what I can do with them. Like, I've never understood the appeal of Canon colors. Like, they've always made me look bad. Like, my skin never looks good in Canon colors. Oh,
0: oh the canon earth gonna
1: come out to you <laughs> but then i'll prefer i'll say i prefer sony colors for my skin tone but then people will look at the image and be like well that's a super green image i don't like that and that and i'm like that's fine but it makes me look how i think i look irl so that, that that's what i seek out um and then a lot of people now prefer Fuji colors, and that's really cool like i haven't used them but there's uh, especially once you start shooting raw or you start doing a lot of things more manually like with log and all of that stuff like the actual camera you're using isn't super important anymore. Yeah. I
0: mean, at the end of the day, you got to, you got to get the equipment and work with the equipment that you're best, more comfortable with and with it, what you're trying to go for. And then just go from there.
1: Yeah. i saying, and where's my pitchfork?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we get you out of here, yep. Um, you're a tech educator, you're a stream professional. So for somebody just starting out, what is some equipment that is like that you would recommend for people that are just starting out streaming or shooting videos or whatever what is what is like a camera
1: microphone or whatever that you would recommend for beginners um for a microphone i would say the samson q2u Uh, i wish i had it on hand it's a little dynamic microphone it'll reject a lot of your background noise it looks a little goofy because it looks like one of those stage mics um but it sounds great it like i said it's really quiet so it, you don't have a ton of background noise and you can do a lot with it. And then for cameras, I'm current. Uh, the Panasonic G7 has been my budget recommendation for a while. It does 4K, 1080p, clean HDMI out. Doesn't have really good autofocus at all. Like I no. wouldn't even turn it on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then more recently, Sony cams have been pulling me like I have a ton now. I have multiple A5100s, the A6400, even though mine just died for some reason. I, I don't know what happened it, it's it's great as well my main webcams in a7s2 like sony cams are really great as well right now um whatever you can reasonably afford right now prices are all over the place so right you may just need to start with a webcam um and you can't even buy the logitech one so it'll be some knockoff that looks like food um big clutch and this is not i'm not being paid to say this right now i can't even pull it out so you can't even see it uh i've got a Stream Deck is a wonderful piece of kit or some sort of macro control pad. There's a couple other options now. You can even set up an app called touch portal on your phone, which will do the same thing. Um, but it is a control surface to where you can quickly, like I was doing switch scenes with the push of a button. You can control your stream. You can start and stop. You can tweet out that you're streaming. You can, I have multi actions. I kind of wish I was downstairs to show this off. I have one button that turns on my camera, turns on my lights, changes the color of my backlights, and opens up OBS to the correct profile for me to start recording right away, all with one button. Um, what? What? Pretty cool. Yeah, because you can set up like multi action. So you can just do like, turn light on, turn light off, turn camera on, turn this on. And so I've got a whole lot set up with it. And once you start integrating that kind of thing, you get a much more professional live stream because otherwise, a lot of the times you end up being like, Okay, guys, I'll be right back. Oh, I didn't choose the right scene. Got to find the right. Got to click it. Oh, I clicked the wrong thing. Oh, no, I resized my camera and all of that. And having some sort of control surface, be it the Stream Deck, Touch Portal, what have you, really kind of takes you to that next step, IMO. Wow.
0: Wow. Me and you're going to have to have a, like a private chat about that <laughs> Stream Deck thingy. That's, that's interesting. But Adam, fuck thank you for joining me tonight, man. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Before we go, let the people know where they can find you at.
1: Find me over on YouTube, youtube.com slash eposvox, uh, Twitter, Twitch, Instagram. I'm trying to be everywhere. Uh, Floatplane, if you want early access behind-the-scenes content, um, everything slash eposvox. I'm pretty much everywhere. If you're interested in learning to stream, make content, or just some cool tech stuff or retro gaming stuff over on Twitch or Instagram, hit me up.
0: <laughs> nice, nice. Shout out to those of y'all listening on audio only. Thank you for listening to another episode of Vibe Drop this week with me and E-Post Thank you guys so much for supporting each and every week. If you want to go check out E-Post and his content, all of this information will be in the show notes. If you want to support the podcast, that information will be in the show notes as well. Again, not required, but anything that you can do, greatly appreciate it. Also, if you happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts, please make sure you consider leaving a rating or review. Um, it helped more people discover the podcast, and we're, it helped us get back into the top 200 of tech podcasts on Apple Podcasts. So, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving that rating or review. So, thank you do very much. Yeah, do it now. do it now. But until the next time, people, it's your boy Viper, the man about tech. You know where to find me. So, come back for more.